from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 49 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people to not only go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Line ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer help them to lead a normal life to people like me, who are totally blind to sighted parents who have a blind child, blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, Blind People in Prison and Blind Ballet. Blindness doesn't discriminate. It affects people of all income, races, religions, nationalities, social status, and professions, including criminals. At least 10 blind and visually impaired men and women around the world have been convicted of murder, and they commit their crimes in traditional ways, like shooting cheating lovers, beating someone to death that pisses them off, and conspiring with others to do the actual killing. The best known is Omar Abdul Rahman, known as the Blind Sheik, who was convicted of engineering the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993. One of the most colorful visually impaired criminals is Blind Bob the Bank Robber, with 17 bank robberies and 11 attempted estates under his belt and white cane. According to a 1995 Braille Monitor in People magazine, Robert Toyer had retinitis pigmentosa. He'd take a taxi to a bank and tell the driver he'd be right back after getting some money. Then, with just enough remaining vision left to see the foot of someone ahead of him, he'd follow the foot of a slow-walking older person to a teller, and hand that teller a note saying that this is a bank robbery, and that he had a gun, which he didn't. Then, unfolding his white cane, he'd work his way out of the bank, and back to his waiting cab. He was eventually caught when he walked into some armed guards, delivering money to the bank, and he was caught during an escape after he made it over two fences and walked into a tree, lost his remaining vision while he was in prison. Unfortunately, Bob joined a growing number of blind people in prison. Wanda Bertram is a media spokesperson for the Prison Policy Initiative, an organization that collects data on prisons and prisoners and advocates for prison and criminal justice reform. 
She says that 2% of the people in the United States are blind or visually impaired. There's about 12% of people in state prisons who are vision impaired in some way. And that's a much larger percent than, than the total U.S. population. That's about actually six times the rate of, of vision impairments in prison are about six times higher than in the general U.S. population. That it's about 150,000 people. That's about the same number of people who live in Salinas, California, and 9,000 more people than live in Syracuse, New York. Wanda says there's been no research on why so many prisoners are blind, but a large number of prisoners were raised or live in poverty with less access to medical care. The older people are, the more likely they are to become blind, and people with long sentences and life sentences remain in prison till old age, increasing their chances of developing vision problems and increasing the percentage of prisoners with vision problems. According to a study made in Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, 47% of people shot in the head are likely to end up blind or visually impaired. And some people who are in prison were involved in situations where they may have been shot before they came to prison. Also, Wanda says people with all kinds of disabilities are more likely to have had bad experiences with the police. Some people with vision impairments are a subset of a disabled population that you know is disproportionately likely to have adverse interactions with the police. We know from prior research that police interactions with disabled people tend to go particularly badly and, and involve, for instance, a greater incidence of use of force. That might have something to do with how people who are vision impaired end up on the pathway to prison. Often, prisoners aren't taken seriously when they complain about eye problems. Charlie Palmer began going blind while in prison. Just giving me like different eye jobs. They never told me I had terminal glaucoma, you know, or anything like that. I was never officially diagnosed until I was released from prison. I kept complaining about my eyes, but they just kept telling me, oh, be, as you get older, your sight get bad. And Charlie is the ultimate example of criminal systems that don't work. I was convicted of a first-degree murder. But I was exonerated through DNA evidence November 23rd, 2016. I was incarcerated in 1998. Charlie was incarcerated at Menard Penitentiary in Menard, Illinois. Sighted prisoners can get jobs or go to school, even if they have to wait in their cells for six months or so for an opening. Line prisoners just sit in their cells. Yeah, you know, like most of the ideals is like 23 hours. You know, you'd be locked inside your cell. You may come out and go to the yard for like an hour, come back, you'd be locked in your cell. You may get some day room time to like maybe two or three hours. Then, you know, you lock up at 9, 30, 10 o'clock every night. You wouldn't get out till in the morning when you go to breakfast. But you know, in the, in the max joint, you know, you really don't go to breakfast. They bring it to you. If you didn't have a job, you would be locked up all day until your yard time. But then when you go to the yard and come back, if it's your shower, then you get a shower, but then you lock right back up again. Prison Policies Initiatives, Wanda Bertram. Prisons have a responsibility to give the same kind of care to people with disabilities that they do to everyone else. But that's not actually happening. 
there are, you know, lots of people with disabilities in prison who report, um, you know, neglect and even abuse. States have been turning a blind eye to the conditions, the cruel conditions in prisons and pretending that they don't really exist, pretending that people who have disabilities are not suffering. And it, and it comes from a fear of being seen as soft on crime. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler. Empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. A report from the Prison Justice League reported in Prison Legal News that blind prisoners and others with disabilities are abused by prison staff. The Prison Justice League, advocating prison reform in Texas, released a report entitled Cruel and Unusual Punishment, Extensive Use of Force at the Estelle Unit in 2016. The report found that blind deaf, elderly, and disabled prisoners were routinely physically and sexually abused at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison in Huntsville, Texas. Guards retaliated against prisoners who complained about abuse. Although aware of the abuse, the prison administration did nothing to prevent it or discipline the guards, who abused a reported 65% of prisoners. The guard union blamed inadequate training. A lawsuit brought by the National Federation of the Blind of Colorado against the Colorado Department of Corrections on behalf of the National Federation of the Blind of Colorado and two blind inmates in their custody, blind Christopher Mackin and Adrian Chavez, shows how blind prisoners can and should be treated and how to make it happen. The inmates were represented by Fox and Robinson and additional disability advocates. The lead attorney on the case was Eve Hill. The suit alleged that the Department of Corrections violated the Americans with Disabilities Act and Rehabilitation Act by denying blind prisoners equitable access to services and aids necessary to participate in educational programs, work assignments, and recreational activities. The Department of Corrections also did not provide blind prisoners with alternate communications of written materials provided by the Department of Corrections, such as handbooks, regulations, and grievance forms. As a result, blind prisoners were forced to rely on other inmates to help them with various tasks which put their privacy and safety at risk. The settlement requires the Department of Corrections to ensure every blind prisoner has access to a laptop with screen reader software, typing tutorial programs, an ebook reader, and other assisted technology as needed. Each laptop must include accessible forms of prison documents, and every blind prisoner must have access to scanners and printers so they can read and write mail and other printed documents independently. Moreover, all information related to employment will be made accessible, and blind prisoners cannot be denied work opportunities based on their disabilities. Blind incarcerated people with disabilities Abilities are not asking for special treatment. They're simply asking for equal access and treatment. 
is required by federal law. They simply want the same opportunities to improve their knowledge and skills as other inmates, said Eve Hill. Wanda Bertram says, as there is progress for some blind prisoners, there's a movement to make things harder. Mail, physical mail in prisons is under attack by corporations who are trying to get prisons to replace physical mail with digital substitutes, claiming that this will reduce the number of dangerous drugs that it will be introduced into the prison population. These telecom corporations are saying you should ban letters and cards from family and instead we will, you know, you can have family members send the letters and cards to us, we'll scan it, we'll make a photocopy and then we'll transmit that photocopy in to the recipient. Wanda says digitizing mail makes letters of support from loved ones impersonal. People who are blind are not served by these policies. What we've been hearing from people, it's it's drastically inferior and it's hurting people's communication with their family. People are not able to hold the letters and the cards that they get from their loved one. My wife has this particular perfume and I can smell it on the mail that she sends me. I can't if it's just to scan. Oh, my kids made me this drawing and I can't really see it because it's been scanned poorly. They get the margins cut off. Photographs become blurry and you can't make out people's faces. It's hard for everybody in prison, but for people who have a vision impairment, it's going to be obviously even harder. Finally, Charlie Palmer, who was exonerated after serving 18 years of a life sentence for a murder he never committed. I mean, you know, it's like, one thing I can say, the truth is say, is just never give up hope. Anything is possible. Allen's Creek helped with this story. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Ballet began in Italy in the 15th century. It slowly boomed in popularity with professional ballet dancers performing in cities around the world, including the United States. But after World War II, it exploded in popularity in the United States, according to Roland University professor Dr. Melissa Clapper. Dr. Clapper says, for the first time, families had money to spend on things in addition to essentials. And one of the things they spent it on, and are still spending it on, was and is ballet lessons. Millions of children of all ages, races, ethnic backgrounds, and immigrant status flocked to ballet schools. Among the multitudes are blind ballet students. A small number of blind ballet programs have come and gone over the years, but one that began four years ago and is still growing is the New York City-based Darkroom Ballet, operated by blind professional dancer Krishna Wishburn. But you don't have to live in New York to become one of Krishna's students. All of her classes are taught online and are free for blind and visually impaired students. Darkroom Ballet is a pre-professional dance program for blind and visually impaired people. It consists of ballet technique classes, introductory level, 
open level and occasionally I get to teach a pro level series for my pre-professional. I teach traditional blind dance techniques as were taught to me by my blind teacher, meaning that I teach back body balance instead of forward posture. I teach the Kate floor technique of orientation as opposed to using a mirror to keep track of where you are in space. And I self-audio describe as I'm dancing continuously through class. Before Krishna's students begin their dance classes, she encourages them to take her anatomy classes so they know what happens to their bodies when they dance so they can use their bodies correctly. Krishna explains in what ways the blind dancer's posture is different than sighted dancer's posture. There is a place at the very back of your heel where two very important pieces of connective tissue meet one another. Your Achilles tendon, which is like that hard, plasticky feeling piece of connective tissue that runs up the back of your lower leg into your calf muscle, and your plantar fascia, which covers the sole of your foot. You are meant to put all of your torso weight on those backs of your heels. Ballet is a dance art form that is all about maximizing balance. And one of the stereotypes about blind people is that we do not have good balance. That is untrue. It is just that we need to be taught balance from our sensory perspective. When you teach a blind person balance from the back of their heel, keeping the touch of the ball of the foot light so that way they can keep track their tape that I mentioned before. You use turnout, rotating the muscles at the back of the pelvis in order to create a diagonal line with each foot, increasing the surface area that the foot is connected to the floor. Having wide, wide awake active inner thigh muscles pulling into the midline of the body, that's the line that separates the body from right and left, coming up to the front of the pelvis, which we have a lift at the front of the pelvis, you pop a pocket of air into those hip sockets in front, adding height and adding movement for the femur bones that go into the pelvis. You activate the solar plexus muscles, the muscles of the upper abdomen, in order to stabilize the bones in the lumbar spine, keeping them stable the entire time you're dancing. If you keep your lower back stable, your arms and legs are free to move. You decompress the upper, like the upper spine. Make sure that you have distance between all of the thoracic spinal vertebra and you feel that suspension feeling from the crown of the head as if there were a thread pulling up through the ceiling, through the roof, into the sky, passing through the atmosphere, the stratosphere, into space and hooking itself to the moon. That is the posture that blind people use when they're dancing. Abby Ferry lives in Littleton, Colorado. She dances ballet tap, jazz, and lyrical dancing with spoke and motion, which she describes as an integrated dance troupe, ranging from people in wheelchairs to dancers with no disability. I just, I just love it. I, I, I don't know how else, to, I don't know how else to put it. I just love it. It's very fun for me. I have choreographed a few of our dances since 2019. In almost every show since 2019, I choreographed one piece and that is just, it's so awesome for me to really, to teach a dance and then to be able to air quotes, <laughs> see the finished product and to have 
people in the audience and everything see it and to be able to tell people what I was thinking and feeling while I was working through it and then finally what I'm feeling after it's all done. Abby says she isn't totally blind. For example, if someone's standing in front of a window and backlit, she can tell that they're there because they appear as a blob. People who are not totally blind frequently are very sensitive to light, which may require some adjustments for specific dancers. I am somewhat sensitive to light. Somewhat. I do get a little confused sometimes. I don't remember where we were, but they had really, really bright lights on each side of the stage. Plus the normal stage lights on in the front of the stage. I don't know why it happened, but the lights on the sides of the stage, they ended up having to turn off for our performance because I was having some trouble focusing and orienting myself because I was getting completely blinded. Abby says her experience shows her that there are few disabilities that can keep people from dancing. Honestly, you can do whatever you put your mind to. You don't have to be inhibited at all. Just because you can't see or just because you're wheelchair bound or maybe hard of hearing or just anything, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Krishna Washburn says bad teachers in the past don't have to keep students from bright futures. Remember that even if you've had negative experiences with education, especially movement education, and you've had teachers that made you feel limited and made you feel anxious for no good reason, there's always a fresh start and there's always a teacher who will be able to connect to you and be able to help you self-actualize yourself. I, if you want to study ballet, could be that teacher for you. An important part of getting to know students for me is when they register for the first time, they have to have like a little five-minute phone conversation with me. And the kinds of questions that I ask typically have to do with their prior knowledge of movement and like also experiences they've had in educational settings. A lot of blind and visually impaired people, myself included, have had a lot of experiences in which they've had teachers really limit them and damage their sense of self-efficacy. This I can say for sure, as someone who has been teaching ballet to blind and visually impaired people for quite some time at this point, if you have a teacher who understands how to develop curriculum for you, a blind student can learn the entirety of the ballet movement canon. They can learn every single movement that a sighted person can learn if they are taught in the way that is appropriate for them. In addition to teaching blind ballet, Krishna teaches people how to audio describe ballet. I have a documentary film. It's called Telephone, and it is an exploration of the philosophies pertaining to audio description for dance specifically. Uh, audio description for dance needs to be approached in a different way than audio description for film and television. Dance is such a unique and special art form and 
And I personally consider it to be the most challenging art form to successfully audio describe. A telephone is a 45-minute film. It features many examples of really talented audio describers and dancers. Uh, the telephone website is telephonefilm.com. That's telephonefilm.com. P-E-L-E-P-H-O-N-E-F-I-L-M.com. Terry Wagner and Jamie Lewis help with this story. Why is my talking scale reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing? Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the Tactile Traveler, in any search engine. This program's also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing The Tactile Traveler into any search engine. And it's available wherever you get podcasts. And by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Pat Conroe, Lorraine Hutchinson, Debbie O'Leary, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Kaylee Romero, and Wally Burley. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of Cadian K Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. Colorado.